So what are you going to see tonight in Asbury? Or are you just taking um, your wife I don't out? know. I, I, if I don't poop out, I might go see Bobby Mahoney. Oh, Two Nights at the Saint? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a new record out? Yeah. Yeah, he was just the song of the week. The Making Waves song of the week. Sounds good. Welcome to the Asbury Park Vibes podcast. Asbury Park Vibes is dedicated to sharing information about the live music scene in the Asbury Park area, as well as the bands who've traveled through. We thank you for tuning in, downloading, or just stumbling upon our podcast. Hey everybody, this is Doug Drescher with uh, my trusty companion and digital friend Diane DeMimo. Hello, hello. And we're here, we're very excited. We have a very special guest today and his name is Bob Macon. Bob, Hi guys. Well, welcome to our little podcast in the world. Oh, this is wonderful. I love this place. It's so nice. We're never leaving. <laughs> yeah. At least for three and a half years. Very cool. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do with it. I, I hope uh, it's going to be really wonderful things. You can't go wrong with any place that has hardwood floors. You know, once you have the floor in place, everything else. And then there's Cooper. And then we have Cooper the Wonder Dog. He's like the Asbury Park Vibes mascot. He's in our welcoming committee. He is. So many of you um, who are listening, uh, for those who tune in, would know Bob from the Making Waves column that's been around. And he's here to talk about a special project that he's working on. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But whenever you have somebody who has this kind of music history of the neighborhood uh we have to first harangue him so so bob how how long have you been connected to this sort of underground overground music scene here in in asbury and new jersey in general well i mean not to be facetious but i would say since the womb yeah i mean my family's been taking me to asbury park since like my mom was pregnant with me i mean um so that would my be dad, the, the, the early 80s is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> my dad was the entertainment editor of the Asbury Park Press, or I should say the, the, the panorama editor of the Asbury Park Press, which yeah. is more than just entertainment. So, like, you know, I grew up with it. And then I got an opportunity. I won a uh, journalism contest at what was then Monmouth College that the Asbury Park Press sponsored, and the prize was to... Um, get to write for the Asbury Park Press youth page. Mm. And that was when I was, I think I won when I was 15, and then it started um, my junior year when I was 16. Uh, And I wrote the last, you know, the last two years of high school for the Asbury Park youth page and got to preview shows at the Stone Pony. So I I started covering the Asbury Park music scene uh, in 1980, in September of 1980, when Mm -hmm. I was still in high school. Wow. Yeah. So and you haven't written a book yet? No. I think a, a book is in order. I got a book idea, but Oh, that would be great. I never seem to have time to do it. I have it like all outlined. I have all the chapters outlined. It's called Noisy Joisy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ten places to put the garden state on the music map. And of course, chapter one is Asbury Park. Sure, sure. Yeah. And and but you've also covered extensively the it seems like there's been three or four different movements coming out of the, the New Brunswick scene as well. So yeah. it's not just Asbury Park. Yeah, I first covered Asbury, but then um, I was hired in I was hired in 1988 to write the Making Waves column for uh, what was then East Coast Rocker, and mm-hmm. of course before that it was the Aquarian, and then it became the Aquarian again. Um, and then in 1989, I was hired full time and uh, covered the whole state. And at that time, New Brunswick was, in my opinion... It was huge. Yeah. I mean, it was... There was, there was the, the court, uh, bands played at the Melody. Yeah. What were some of the other places? Oh, the Roxy was right across the street from the Melody. And then, you know, there was, you know, cl- clubs that aren't quite as legendary as that, but were really great, like mm-hmm. Jay August, Patrick's. Um, there was a little later on... Uh, the Budapest Lounge, and um, just like so many places to play. It was unbelievable. And so many bands. The Smithereens kind of broke it open sure. in 86. And, of course, they came. They, they were really big in New Brunswick in, like, 83. They were huge in New Brunswick. Yeah. And so, you know, every, when, they, when Blood and Roses hit, everybody, the floodgates opened, and... Everybody in New Brunswick wanted to be in a band. Sure. And I got there at eight, in 83. 
when it was like like really really hopping and bands like whirling dervishes and raging lamos and uh destroy all bands and uh i think i think the band was called lord john or was it lord but it it seems like the smithereens were sort of the new brunswick band that broke out yeah they were the ones that busted it open yeah without a doubt uh, I'm actually, excuse me, I'm interested to, you know, um, going back to you winning that contest at 15. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, what usually uh, kids at that age want to do the exact opposite that their parents are doing. <laughs> Obviously, you, you were watching yeah. what your dad was doing. Um, yeah. Did that take hold of you oh, writing yeah. early on? Like, were oh. you, did you used to watch your father? And Absolutely. He used to take me to the paper. And, and, and can I just jump work. in? That's for those who don't understand in the age of the digital world. Yeah. That's when newspapers were like Bibles were being. Oh, he had printed. a typewriter. Yeah, he wrote his copy on a typewriter. You know, or, or well, he was an editor. Um, I mean, sometimes he would write, but um, you know, it's funny because he was actually a, a, a like a part time sports reporter on Saturdays to to make extra money for the kids. He would um, cover football games, the, the high school football, games? high school football games. Sure, and I remember he he, he particularly loved covering. The Manasquan Point Pleasant Borough game. Um, is that I, a, I get, uh, a rivalry? Yeah, game that's like a huge rivalry then. But before there was a Point Borough High School, the rivalry was Point Pleasant Beach Manasquan. And he played football for Point Pleasant Beach uh-huh. and played in that game. So that, that game was really special for him. And I would go with him to the game and we'd run back to the paper and he'd write it up and he would just type it. On the typewriter, just boom, no now, mistakes. Now, did he have the electric typewriter that Not everyone... Not even an electric just typewriter. just the, the hand This crank. is like 1975, <laughs> sure. 1976. And so he's typing, no mistakes, no typos, no crossovers. Did he have the carbon paper underneath so he'd make no. two copies? It's just no. what he typed is what he typed. Yeah, what he typed was what he typed. Then you'd, he'd take it off the typewriter, roll it up, put it in this tube... And it would go whoosh, into the production room cool. uh-huh. um, through a like a tunnel. And then you like, were hooked. Yeah, I was just fascinated. You and know, I, I was, mentioned the I, smell where they the printed. There's a certain smell of the ink and the oh, paper. Yeah. That I don't must... know. I didn't know about that because yeah. I didn't see that until I was way older. Okay. But this, you could smell the cigarettes. Like you could smoke in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Like you know the old time cronies that would have like a bottle of gin or bourbon or something in their drawer and take a shot did he have the cool hat with the brim and it said press on it and everywhere he went everything turned black and white right everything was a (laughs) grayscale film noir life (laughs) (laughs) we were talking with um the promoter from the stone pony oh uh, uh, kyle we were talking to kyle brendel about and he talks about how um around that time in the early 80s, how things were really booming. And then he mentioned that when New Jersey changed the drinking age to 21, that that was was one of the posts uh, sort of in the history of music in New Jersey that sort of destroyed a percentage of the scene because kids couldn't go see. Did you see that in New Brunswick as well, that, that the freshmen, sophomores and juniors couldn't get into these bars anymore? By the time I got to New Brunswick, that law had already changed. Mm. Um, it was actually 19 okay. when I got to New Brunswick. Um, not that I had all that much effect because I was, what was I? I was 19. Um, yeah, 1983, I was 19. So I think that I was legal. I'm not sure. It's kind of all a blur. But what, it, it wasn't so much in New Brunswick that I remember that being devastating as here. Yeah. The shore. Because the shore had so many clubs, and it, it was really everywhere. I mean, there were there were places like the Royal Manor, um, you know, just places all around, uh, really. Um, but particularly at the shore, because there were so many clubs here, especially in the summertime when the kids yeah. might be down with their friends and yeah. families. And the Aquarian made its, you know, bread and butter on those clubs. And when the drinking age went to twenty one, they closed up. And the aquarium had a really rough time and had to, you know, change over into being the East Coast rocker. Sure. And then once, you know, it could, it came back as the aquarium. And, you know, I'll tell you a really funny story sure. about that. 
Like I was, when I was a kid, you know, I'd walk home from school and I would always, every Wednesday and every other Wednesday, I would pick up a copy of the Aquarian and Rolling Stone. And, you know, I just absolutely adored them, you know, especially adored the Aquarian. And so fast forward, I'm working just out of college on a, in a public relations firm on Madison Avenue. And I'm passed by a newsstand, Port Authority, and I see East Coast Rocker. And I'm like, oh, well, what's this? This looks interesting. I think Joan Jett was on the cover. Mm-hmm. And so I open it up. It's in Montclair, New Jersey. I'm like, I was born in Montclair, New Jersey. Oh, my God. I, I should try to write for these people. Sure. So, you know, the rest is history. I get the Making Waves column. And I get hired full time. And I'm working there for like three years before I realize that East Coast Rocker is the Aquarian <laughs> Weekly. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm working at the Aquarian. This is awesome. When, when we were in high school and college, uh, especially when I was in a bad band at the time, picking up the Aquarian to see who was playing where, because there, were, you know, there was no internet, of course, so that was our only guide to see yeah. who was at the Ritz, who was at Irving Plaza, who was going to be at Kenny's Castaways, yeah. because the drinking age, <laughs> yeah, the, well, the drinking age in New, uh, New Jersey changed, but not New York at the time. So we were all grandfathered in. Yeah. So we would drive into the city and just go down to Soho and go see anybody who was playing. There's there's a possibility. I saw some great unknown bands that I have no recollection <laughs> of remembering. Yeah. Um, Apart from the drinking age and just the sort of cycle of things, especially in the Asbury area, since this is where we're sort of concentrated on, over the years, what's what's some of the bigger changes that you've seen in in the bands or in the relationship the bands have with with just the town? What what's gone on that you, that you think are big uh, movements, if, if any? Well, you know, I mean, definitely economic development has been amazing. You know, um, there's just been so much great development here since I'd say, I, I, I guess it kind of started in 2007. Um, and before that, I mean, phew, Grand Avenue is gorgeous, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how beautiful is Grand Avenue? It's probably like one of my favorite streets in America. But in the 80s and 90s, you couldn't walk down Grand Avenue. Yeah. It was like prime gang turf. And you took your life in your hands walking on Grand Avenue. Whereas now you could stroll down there and see all those gorgeous churches, you know. Um, so definitely, you know, uh, economic development has changed the town dramatically into the jewel that it was before the riots on July 4th, 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, it was, you know, like when I was first coming here, I was a little kid. Literally, my parents would take me here when I was like, you know, before I was even born. I was like, my mom was pregnant with me and they were hanging out here. And I, I mean, I'm st- I, re- I remember hanging out on the boardwalk two years old. Mm-hmm. You know, my my grandmother won me the Beatles Abbey Road album when I was five, you know, so like cool. about, about six weeks before those riots. Right. And, um, so, you know, it was a little seedy, you know, in those late sixties, it was getting kind of seedy compared to what it was in the fifties when my parents were kids mm-hmm. and in the thirties and forties when my grandparents came here. I mean, it was gorgeous in the 30s and 40s. You walk down the boardwalk, women are dressed up in gorgeous dresses, guys are wearing suits, you know, and my grandparents experienced that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then my parents experienced the 50s here, and then, you know, I experienced the late 60s, and then phew, July 4th, 1970, my father came home from work one night. And he had to get a police escort because somebody had thrown a brick through his window yeah. in the midst of the riots. Um, I did not step foot in Asbury Park again for like five years. Yeah. And that was to, you know, go with my dad to the paper. And the only place I ever went was the Asbury Park Press. Right to that. And, and, yeah. and that was where the Asbury Park Press building was? Is, is yeah, that where it was, it was on, done? It was on Bangs Avenue. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, uh, or was it? No, that's not. Is that Bangs Avenue? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's right by Bangs Avenue. Yeah. I don't think it's actually on Bangs Avenue. I think it's one over from Bangs Avenue. Um, like between Bangs and Cookman, whatever that. So at that time, is. when you were just part of the Asbury Park press, even as a kid, or what your dad was doing, mm. do you? I mean, Asbury Park is so closely associated with Bruce Springsteen. Do you mm. remember when you first heard the name Springsteen when he yeah. started to play out? When, yeah. when was that? My, my dad would, uh, you know, assign stories about him. My my first memory of Bruce Springsteen is when he played the old Carlton Theater, it was now the Basie Center. Mm-hmm. And I think that was in October of 1976. And he, I thought he was like a, a, a hairy werewolf. You know, <laughs> he's, like, he's growled and he was all hairy. And Did he have the uh, full E Street Band compliment yeah. at that oh, point? Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but my, you know, my dad would bring the paper home and I'd open it up. I always go to the entertainment section and... And I was just fascinated by it, you know. And he was always in it. He was he was in it a lot. I mean, there was a point where he would be interviewed in it, and then it got to be where, you know, he really wasn't doing a lot of interviews. Um, but you know, my my recollection of Bruce is in the Asbury Park Press and, in the mid seventies. Was uh, he in it a lot because your father recognized that something was going on there, and he? Everybody did. Okay, so Every, everybody recognized the talent he had when he was in Steel Mill. You know, there were the Asbury Park Press. I, be, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that the Asbury Park Press covered a Steel Mill concert at Monmouth College, and as a legendary concert, it was the one where Danny Federici got his nickname, the Phantom. Because he, there was like cops somehow involved, and Danny ran away. <laughs> so, so they called him the Phantom after that because he just disappeared. Does, does the press keep their history of articles online for research? I don't know. I, I, you know, I know there's an archive, but I'm not sure if it's associated with the Asbury yeah. Park Press. Because I absolutely but love. You can buy clips. It, it's one of the reasons why I actually subscribe, but. You can get articles from the New York Times dating to their first article, you know, in the mid-1800s, I guess, you know, just before the Civil War. And I would think that the Asbury Park Press, even just as a historical record of what went on, that would be a great database to search for the history of New Jersey. Absolutely. And, And to extrapolate from that, I would give anything for the Aquarian and the East Coast Rocker to to publish or have digitized old versions of their paper. Well, if you know the date that you're looking for or the approximate date, yeah. they'll find you the PDF. The, the, the only reason I ask that is uh, my band actually played at CBGB's, <laughs> uh, like a real gig, and somewhere in the uh, in the aquarium is the CBGB's yeah. ad, and, and my band's name is that. But I, I couldn't tell you within <laughs> six months when it was. That was like yeah. a lifetime ago. Yeah, you kind of need to narrow it down to a couple of weeks, and so, they'll find it for you. Um what do you see as the newest trend here in in Asbury or just in New uh, Jersey? Because you, I mean, you've 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 covered it all now for like what forty, fifty years, forty two years. Yeah. Well, what's what's big coming around the bend that we want to keep an eye out for? Well, I'm really excited because driving in here, I drove by the Turf Club, mm-hmm. and so you know, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you an interesting story, like. When I come to Asbury Park, I don't go on the circle. I don't like the circle. I avoid the circle. I go on the Neptune Boulevard, and I turn left on the Bangs Avenue. And you couldn't do that, like, 20 years ago. You, you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to drive down mm-hmm. Bangs Avenue. But, like, I mean, the west side of Asbury Park, every time I'm in Asbury Park and I'm on the west side of Asbury Park, it's nicer and nicer and nicer every single time. So... To me, the trend here is that the west side is really becoming nice. And with that turf club ab- about to, you know, being renovated and about to reopen, mm-hmm. that's going to be a game changer. Now, that's, is that a venue or what, what yeah, is the turf that, club? That, yeah, yeah, that's one of that. many, no, no. many venues on the west side of Asbury Park. So there was a really hopping jazz and R&B scene mm-hmm. in Asbury Park. And there's a fella... 
oh, I wish I could remember his name, but there's, a, there's an historian, an Asbury Park historian, who writes extensively about the west side of Asbury and the music, the doo-wop, the R&B bands, you know. Um, I'm going to have to look that up for you and tell him and tell you who he is because mm-hmm. um, I did a panel with him a couple of years ago at the Wonder Bar, and he's fascinating. He's written books. He's published books about the west side of Asbury Park. So... This turf club is one of many clubs that were there. It's going to reopen. What what music or demographic do you think it's? Going I would to aim imagine towards? it's going to be like you know, R R and B, probably hip hop. Mm. You know, if they can do it. What it what it was was R and B, and soul. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it was around so long that the doo wop scene was there but there was a huge doo-wop scene in Asbury Park. I know when you when you hear little Steven talk about his influences, he talks about rhythm and blues and doo-wop a lot. Yeah. That was That was sort huge of his, here. Oh, that's I didn't I don't know that. rock and roll. Well, yeah. sure, that's yeah. where you start. Yeah. Um so um one of the reasons we wanted to have you in is we just uh, covered a couple of weeks ago a special event over at Danny Clinch's gallery where you raised some money. So tell us about the uh, this uh, making fund here. What's, yeah, let's talk about that. So my dad was the um, Rick Macon was the panorama editor of the Asbury Park Press from 1972 to 1980, and then from 1980 till I'm not quite sure when uh, he retired. I believe he retired in 2004. He was there 38 years, and wow. he started in 1964. So I guess he retired in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was the editorial page editor after he was the panorama editor. So, you know, at, to me, in my mind, you know, as the panorama editor, which one of the sections that he was in charge of was the entertainment section, I mean, he was... He, he was the guy that said, yeah, let's cover this in the Asbury Park music scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of writers, you know, Bobby Santelli, Marty Packin, uh, a couple of other people that before them that like, you know, they're, they're pretty legendary folks here in New Jersey because they covered the Asbury Park music scene way back in the day, you know, when the upstage was around. But, you know, it was my dad who told Santelli what to write and told Marty Packin so what he to was write, he you know? he sort of guided the culture yeah, of he was, where things were going to go he was behind the scenes but like you know he didn't get the kind of credit he didn't and he was a really humble guy mm-hmm. and he was really really into community theater he was a very active performer oh wow in community theater he was a great song and dance man <laughs> and a, and a funny story about him him and his best friend, Pete Donahue, who unfortunately just passed away too, um, the two of them would, would just break out in song in the newsroom <laughs> of the Asbury Park Press and do these musical numbers. And they were just That's like awesome. legendary. <laughs> these two legendary guys with the Asbury Park Press. And, you know, he, so he had this great love of musical theater and was very active in community theater. So he wasn't like boots to the ground like I've been mm-hmm. all these years in the Asbury Park music scene. But from behind the scenes, he was kind of deciding what to cover. You know, like, let's cover this story. Let's cover that story. Did a lot of bands or representation reach out to him to, to get him to notice things? I would say so, yeah. I mean, he had a huge... I remember there was this one record, this band that nobody ever heard of that we both loved that he turned me on to. They were a duo, kind of like uh, Seals and Croft. They were called Compton and Bateau. And so he, they weren't from around here. They were from California. But there, he had all these records. Salty Dog, mm-hmm. I think, was from New Jersey. He had their record. You know, you got to remember back then... It was Springsteen, and that was about it. It mm-hmm. was Southside Johnny. There wasn't a lot of original music in New Jersey in the 1970s. They were all cover bands. Yeah, I hear there, a lot of the places had house bands that were yeah. essentially cover bands. And, and on any day, different day of the week, you would have a different band that would come in and do their version of the cover songs that were popular. It was amazing. You know, there was just so many amazing, amazing bands. They would draw like 3,000 people yeah. if they played a venue that could hold that. Sure. And they were famous. They'd walk down the street and you'd recognize them, you know, but they were 
doing their interpretation of other people's music. And mm-hmm. then, like a lot of them, you know, they started to write original music, but then it changed. You know, the music industry changed and it went from like what we would now call classic rock to more new wave very punk influenced and eventually alternative rock so those bands that were in those guys who were in cover bands and women um really didn't get to in most cases launch an original career but you know they they I'm sure they would frequently tell my pop what was going on, and he would but decide. But do what you to think that the new wave and punk sort of bypassed Asbury because Asbury wasn't ready to make that change? No, there was new wave and punk was huge. It here. was huge here. Oh yeah, okay, absolutely, yeah. No, it changed with the times, absolutely. Um, and that and what that punk and new wave did was pave the way for the original scene, you know, and the original scene really got built up in the 80s and by the 90s. Oh, man, it was incredible. Just absolutely incredible how many great bands were coming out in New Jersey, especially New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like when, with my dad, um, I, I kind of felt like, you know, he uh, isn't known for his influence on the Asbury Park music scene. Like he, like I think he should be. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, um, I created. He, he he died on on December twenty seventh, twenty twenty of COVID, mm. and um, so you know a couple of months later, I thought to create this scholarship fund at Monmouth University, largely because you know that's kind of how I got my start mm-hmm. as a music writer through that that scholarship that contest that I won. And uh, so I figured, you know, have it go full circle and we'll create us the Rick Bacon Memorial Scholarship at Monmouth University. And what it is officially called, having done that, is the Rick Bacon Memorial Scholarship for the, for the Humanities and Social Sciences at Monmouth University. And, and who would qualify or who, who would be the kind of person that would apply for that? So my dad's great passions were... Of course, journalism, theater, music, history, and literature. Mm-hmm. So those they don't have majors for all those things, but they either have a major or a minor. So students studying those five subjects will be eligible for the scholarship. Okay. Right now, we're in the fundraising mode for it because, of course, my dad and I were journalists, and <laughs> we didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. So it's not like I can just give a $25,000 sure. endowment to Monmouth University. But I am pretty good at fundraising. Sure. I've raised like, well, now I've raised $161,000 since 1990. That's fantastic. So it's about $5,000 a year, and that's what we need to raise. We Mm -hmm. need to raise $5,000 a year for five years, and then we have a $25,000 endowment for the scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do that. (laughs) That's because I thought COVID eventually would end. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to come back a little bit Uh, every few months. It keeps wanting that encore. (laughs) But, uh, you know, COVID's making it really rough. I mean, you know, and like I'm trying to make the scholarship fund a nonprofit and I mean, waiting on hold for the IRS to answer. It's probably a lot of pieces of paper. Oh, it's crazy. So it's not like, you know, it, it, it's it's a nonprofit and it's got its IRS identification number, but it it ha- it I still have to jump through all these hoops sure. to like have a nonprofit GoFundMe set up through PayPal, sure. and you know because that hopefully is going to be the bulk of the fundraising through GoFundMe. Yeah, because like events, I mean, it's really it's it's kind of scary to like make people come out. You know, I mean, people are doing it and that's great, but I just feel like, you know, I'd like to do one event a year, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm not going to be able to do enough events each year to raise the $5,000. So a lot of it's going to have to be from GoFundMe. Doug, we're talking about uh, doing some live events here, some acoustic sets and everything. How nice nice would it be to have a little donation ticket? Yeah, we'll work something out. I just think that the scholarship is such a loving tribute to your father, and it's representative of the very special relationship you two must have had. Um, It's a lot of work to make his name 
actually a little teary-eyed talking about that, but it's just so loving and such a nice way to have his memory live on. That's the idea. So thinking back to when you were a kid, Mm -hmm. I'd imagine your house must have been teeming with music being played. Good Lord. What what are some of the earlier memories of what was being listened to when you were a toddling forget listen to played yeah. my parents were amazing musicians yeah so what, what were they too? what were they oh, listening to what were they playing my mom is the only person i personally know who can play classical piano and sing opera wow she was super super talented i mean she's, yeah. thank god she's still with us mm-hmm. she, but she's older now so she hasn't played or sang in a sure. long time but like you know she had this upright baldwin and there were these there's, there's, there were these silk chairs on either end of this Baldwin piano that she used to play. And she would play, like, you know, Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff, musical theater stuff, Fiddler on the Roof, Sound of Music, Godspell. And I would love to sit in one of those silk chairs next to her and listen to her play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got thirsty. She got me a glass of juice. And I spilt it on the silk chair, and it stained the chair. She had to have the silk chair reupholstered. Oh, jeez! So after that, she put this plastic on the <laughs> silk chair, and in the summertime, no, that when must I'm be very shorts, painful. I, my legs would stick to the plastic chair, you know. But I still would just love, enamored with her. Did you record any of those no. at any point? No, there. She, you know, she like had a gig. Like her, uh, I think it may have been her only professional gig was at the um, officers' lounge at, at uh, Fort Monmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if any of that's recorded, but now nah, there's no recordings of her. There are recordings of my dad. My dad did cast albums with mm-hmm. Red Oak Music. But you never Theater. brought your portable cassette machine in and just no. recorded? And I'm sure you wish you had now. I'm I sure you'd did. love to be able to hear yeah. that. I was too busy de- daydreaming I was going to be Donny Osmond or Elvis Presley, I guess. So initially, did you want to be a rock and roll hero mm-hmm. yourself? Yeah, I, I, I was like... I was really into uh, Donny Osmond and Elvis Presley as a kid. I, okay. I kind of looked a little like Donny Osmond <laughs> when I was really little. And we would put on these, we would put the, the Osmond Brothers live album on. And like my friends, we would take my, my parents' um, movie projector and put colored Frisbees in front of it as uh-huh. a light show. Mm-hmm. And we would like sing along to the album and pretend that we were rock stars. <laughs> and then. <laughs> I heard Springsteen on um, WNEW uh, in September of 1978. Mm-hmm. And when that, he played, that ended Donny Osmond? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when he played Backstreets into Sad Eyes, which eventually became Drive All Night, it was like a soul bullet into, into my heart. And I was just like, I want to do that. What do you think it was? Cause I find... I'll be honest. I'm a bit bigger a Dylan fan than I am a Springsteen fan. You know, I actually am too. But like Dylan made me want to write songs, and I started writing songs inspired by Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. But Springsteen wanted you Springsteen to want, perform. Yeah, yeah. So, but what's interesting about Springsteen, I find, is he grew up in Jersey. Though when he talks, he sounds like he's from the Midwest. <laughs> he, he's got this Midwest drawl that is part of the. It's part of it's, the mythology of Springsteen. I don't right? think it's Midwest. No, I think now my grandfather talked like that's that. a working guy kind of thing. Yeah, no, my he's. I mean, he's from the shore. I mean, is, is we, that the shore act? See, I grew it, up in North Jersey, right? So yeah. our accent was more yeah. akin to like hanging out in Jersey City and yeah. you know West New York. Yeah. So um, there's this thing called clam diggers, mm-hmm. right? And there are folks who, you know, like my family's lived in Point Pleasant Beach. I mean, I think the town was founded in 1876. I think they they came to town like 10 years later, something Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, so, you know, my grandfather had a very very distinct Jersey Shore accent Mm -hmm. that like all the old timers had back then. And I think what happened is that, you know, um, it kind of, 
as other folks came in, as folks came down from New York and North Jersey, it dissipated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still really strong down in South Jersey. Sure, there's a distinct that's like a, like Philadelphia and South Jersey. Well, I got I got to tell you, Bob. Sense. For those of us who grow up in North Jersey, yeah. Crossing the uh, Raritan River Bridge was like driving to a different country. It was. And, and if yep. you were coming down this way, you'd have to get a hotel room because it was way too far to drive. It, yep. was like go- it literally was like going to a different country. Now people yeah. drive up and down the parkway all the time. They, 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 I don't think we'd ever consider it. But I think that accent that Bruce has, it sound, to me it sounds like my grandfather. Sure. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize it. Yeah. So, but what is it about – I mean, so there's Springsteen and then there's about 400 other musicians – that are standing next to him. Yeah. What is it about Springsteen? You described as that soul-piercing bullet, right? Yeah. What is it about the lyrics and the performance that captured the imagination of, of essentially the entire country? The passion. When he, when he would take one of his recordings and make it into something that you never expect it live. And the way he would lead that amazing, amazing band that's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall sure. of Fame in their own right yeah. because they're so good. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, you couldn't sit down. Yeah. You know, like I remember going to concerts like the Garden State Arts Center when I was a little kid. You know, I'd see Sinatra. My grandparents would take me to see Sinatra or Liberace. Or, even like somebody newer, like Linda Ronstadt or the Carpenters, nobody stood up. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember anybody standing up until Springsteen. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting because yeah. he. I mean, I I could see that it's the strength of the live shows that got him famous, mm-hmm. right? Without a doubt, yeah. To that me, to me, pulling Courtney Cox out of the audience when I was watching that, <laughs> that was a very important moment in my uh, development as a man. I think, without a doubt, Springsteen is the greatest live performer there's ever been, wow. and he's from here in Asbury Park and from Freehold. Where yeah, from. yeah. So I mean, Jersey's got a claim to fame that you know it's just. Memphis has Stax Records. Sure. We've got Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, it's it, now with the onslaught of social media, too, you go onto Facebook and these different uh, social media outlets, and they're just people from Sweden on that Bruce Springsteen fan page, just all over the place. Every country you could think of, passionate yeah. and traveling across Well, there was that movie about the, the, world. the kid in England, what was yeah. it, Blinded by the Light? Blinded by the Light, yeah. Uh, we were so high, happy because they showed... Um, I live down the road from um, Jersey Freeze, and there's, there's, a, there's a quick clip of them getting ice cream at Jersey Freeze because Springsteen has talked about that's like his favorite place. Yeah. And Jen and I were in the theater, and we're like, hey, we've been there. That's our claim to fame. That's yeah. my, that's my uh, one step away from Bruce. There you go. Is that we've eaten in the same place. <laughs> uh, it, in all the years that you've been here, you mentioned one band earlier, but... Was there a band that you were absolutely certain was going to take off and break big and they just fizzed out for whatever reason? Yeah, Big Nurse. They were a band in the early 90s. They were a grunge band. and Big Nurse. Big Nurse. Okay. Yeah, they got their name from Nurse Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's <laughs> Okay, there's a good reference. And they used to live like right around here. Like right on, right, I think it was on 6th. They lived in a, a little, um, they rented a house. And um, they were amazing. They were just absolute. They blew me away. Mm-hmm. And I managed them for like a couple of years. And, you know, they were great. Like they opened for Soundgarden oh, wow. at City Gardens. They opened, who they opened for? But the band that made it out of that same scene was Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. And okay. also up in New Brunswick, New Swirl. They were like the three big bands. There was a fourth band too called Glue Neck. They were the four Jersey grunge bands that, mm-hmm. like, kind of, like, after, even before Nirvana broke. Yeah. You know, it was like, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I think Bleach may have been out. Well, Bleach came out in 89, right? So, yeah, I think Bleach was out on Sub Pop by Nirvana, and, like, Mud Honey was on Sub Pop. But, like, these guys, you know, they really tapped into that same nerve, that, like, Sabbath punk vibe. Where like you were just like really turning up the distortion and just you know just grunging out and, and moving away from synthesizer 
Oh, thank music. God. Yeah. <laughs> Killing the whole hair thing. Yeah. You know, the hair metal. Thank God. Um, and they were amazing. The four bands were amazing. And they would, they would play. Some, I don't think all four of them ever played on the same bill. I'm not sure. But I know at least three of them did all the time. Yeah. Those four bands would play together all the time. Now, I know Monster course, Magnet still yeah, plays around. Monster Magnet became huge. They yeah. were on AM Records. You know, they were a fun, another phenomenal, phenomenal band. You know, but I didn't find out about Monster Magnet until after I was already really good friends with Big Nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they, happened to they Big Nurse? They turned me on to Monster Magnet. And, and what happened that they just missed the, they just couldn't get what, the luck? What happens, you know? I mean, especially back then, you know? I mean, look at all the people who died. Yeah. Shannon Hoon, Bradley Noel, you know? Thank well, God. And, and Thank God all three of them are still alive. Sadly, you know? even just a few weeks ago, that, that, that musicians in successful bands are still dying of drug overdoses. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I, you know, so to hear about uh, Taylor, Taylor Hawkins. Hawkins. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a kid either. So no. you, you can't even blame it on a 22-year-old kid who thinks he's in, indestructible. And, or a 27-year-old. Oh, my God. The number of 27-year-old yeah, people yeah, yeah. who died. It's like, oh, stop. Yeah. You yes. I, I get sad every year on the anniversary of the death of D. Boone because he was 27 yeah. as well. My, yeah. my, uh, my, my love. My, my, I wanted to name my first son Boone, but my wife wouldn't let me do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he, he was a, the leader of the Minutemen. Um, so you've survived the, you've come out on the other end of the COVID piece. Mm. Tell us what's going on with Making Waves now. Where do people find it? If they haven't find it, what are you up to? And, and you know, what's, what's the next few years for Bob Making Waves going to do? Well, Making Waves is uh, featured every week in New Jersey stage. Hey, Cooper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do a song of the week mm-hmm. every week. Uh, 52 weeks out of the year, never take a week off. And um, that's a New Jersey stage. And then that song is played by Liam Maricki on his show, Radio Jersey, between 6 and 8 on Wednesdays and Fridays on radio on um, thepenguinrocks.com, which mm-hmm. is owned by New Jersey Stage. And uh, once a month... I do an interview for New Jersey Stage and theaquarian.com. Okay. And uh, we, I call that the artist of the month. Okay. And um, usually comes out at the beginning of the month, uh, but every Wednesday and Friday, Lee plays the Making Wave Song of the Week, and every Friday, Gary at New Jersey Stage puts up a feature about that artist and that song. And I see Jeff Raspi also taps into that because many of those bands I've heard on his show from time to time. Wow, cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a great compliment. Though Jeff I gotta say, I, I see you guys at the same venues all the time. Yeah? I thought you were related, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. We kind of look alike. Right? <laughs> we do. How, how long has Making Waves been making waves? When 32 years. 32 wow. years. Wait, no. 32, no. 34 years. Wow. Right. 1988? So that's 34 years. Did you ever think you were going to do anything for 34 34 years? I'm just glad to be alive, man. (laughs) To be honest with you. And it never gets boring. I mean, it's just, there's something about, you know. You know what it is? Is that like people like it so much that like, you know, every week it's like this nice little pat on the back. And, you know, I mean, journalism has been rough. I mean, it was so rough that I, I got out, you know, I retired from the daily newspaper industry in December. And, you know, I mean, I, I had a heart attack on August 12th, 2021. That might inspire oh, wow. someone to retire and yeah, take it a little bit and, easier. And, you know, I mean, it's been a rough go, you know. Um, I'm blessed now. I have a full-time job as the economic development director for the borough Carteret. Um, but, you know, it's been, it's been rough the, the last few years. But making waves is a light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. you know? 
So uh, some of the bands that we've seen featured on Making Waves, certainly Bobby Mahoney has, mm-hmm. has been there. What are some of the other local bands that you've uh, – and, and I know we're going to end up leaving somebody out. Don't be yeah, – nobody be some... insulted. But <laughs> what were the last few bands that you, that you featured that you think are worth investing or, in? Or ones that touched your heart. Like yeah. Uh, definitely Bobby. That new song, We Go On, that's amazing. Um, Renee Maskin has a great new album out. I love her. Uh, been right. She's one of our love favorites. Yeah, her. we love Renee. Um, Low Light. Her when she was in Low Light, and then she went solo. So it recently featured Low Light. They have a great album mm-hmm. out too. Uh, they're both on Mint Four Hundred Records, which is wonderful. I wish they advertised with me. That would be so cool <laughs> because then they would always be on my schedule. Well, we want them to advertise with us too. Yeah. So we'll have to put in a request. <laughs> um, uh, so. Um, there is a fella that's fascinating. His name is Alexander Simone. Oh. He's Nina Simone's grandson. Oh, okay. And I, so far, for me, it's like between him and Bobby for the best song of the year so far. Mm-hmm. We go on, and I can't remember the name of Alex's song. Oh, it's right on the tip song. of my yeah. tongue, too. But he is just, yeah. he's everywhere, too. I have, I have it written down. It just take me a second to yeah, look it up. Doug, I think Doug might be looking, too. Um, I don't have my phone with me, but it's... But that is definitely an amazing song, and I can't wait to see you know what else he does. So Um, on Spotify, Alex Simone, although it's probably a pretty common name, so gone. Would you would you mind dirty mixed signals? I don't care. I don't know. I'll tell you in a second. There's (laughs) a few Alex Simones here. Hold on. I have to say that the one thing about Alexander Simone too, and Who Dat Live Crew, yeah, uh, is that they are, you know, to your point, Bob, about you know the performance aspect of Springsteen and how that took hold of you. Alexander Simone and Who Dat Crew does the exact same thing. Well, he comes from godlike lineage. Oh my goodness, he is just magnetic. Um, Was that? the Wonder Bar watching him uh, not too long ago, uh, and he really had the crowd in the palm of his hand. Yeah. And then he awesome? just decided, in between his regular lyrics of the song, he said, I was talking to him about it the other day at, um, at uh, Light of Day Foundation um, concert, and I said, you just said the word jump in between your two lines, and the entire place started jumping. I said, I've never seen anything like that's that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, that's, amazing. That song that knocked me out, was, it's called Even Now. There you really? go. And yes. it's, 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 it's a really real good. great gospel song, mm-hmm. soul song, and um, real strong gospel roots in it. And I love gospel music. And, you know, it's just looking at how, like, even now, even though the world seems to be falling apart, God's there, mm-hmm. you know, and you just got to have faith. Yes. And keep on keeping on. The Immortal Words of Bob Dylan. Yeah, actually, Alexander just posted on um, his social media the other day with just this really long uh, piece of just that, you know, Mm. that, you know, I'm following my path of righteousness and honesty and, you know, come along with me or go your own way. And it was just beautifully written. Yeah, and it's so cool. Like, Nina Simone is one of my favorite artists, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, she's just phenomenal. And that, he's, he's... her grand grandson mm-hmm. that's awesome um and bobby and alexander are both on uh telegraph hill records so okay. big shout out to joe pomerico yeah. and matt fernicola we love doing that. such a great <laughs> job with that label i don't think i've been to a show where i haven't seen matt either performing <laughs> or standing at the edge of the bar watching yeah. he's he's everywhere he's he talking about being sort of a, a version of mr asbury he's, <laughs> he's got his pulse he mm-hmm. sure does B- bundle of energy that one <laughs> yeah I, I can't keep there, there's some people i can't keep up with that level of energy anymore no you come pretty close <laughs> no I, I like to sit more than anything else you're everywhere though. Uh, so um well we've had you in here for the better part of an hour uh you'll send us the links for for your, the rick making stuff so we yes. can get that on there sure. um wh- what do you see next it seems like every band on the planet is touring this summer mm. uh a couple of shows were just canceled because of covid mm. um I'm not going to go see the Circle Jerks until next week when they play in New York City. But uh, as we come out of uh, COVID, what do, what do you think is going to be uh, the next thing that you're going to be excited about? Well, I'm just excited that, you know, I still have this opportunity to write about the local scene. I'm, I'm really thankful that New Jersey Stage and the Aquarian and Lee, you know, give me this opportunity, you know. And I, I think that, you know, 
you're going to see um, more and more uh, venues want to commit to live music as the pandemic, you know, calms down. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty good now. Um, I, I'm not like as fearful as I was to go to a show. Um, I, you know, I was like a little wigged out when we had that benefit at Danny Clinch Gallery. I'm like, you want to have it in February at the height of flu season? Oh God. <laughs> you got a great but, turnout. Yeah. And, it was amazing. And, uh, there, it, there was also sort of like a who's who of Asbury history there as well. So mm. I thought that was a real, a nice nod to your dad's history that a lot of very, at least people who claim to be famous were there. And I, I didn't know many of them, but they all greeted each other with great gusto. So, mm. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that um, we just got to be patient and, and hope for the best. And uh, I think that, you know, the summer will bring us some really great shows. You know, seems like everybody's touring. Yeah, and if yeah. I could, if I could um, end this with a request, a Bob Macon request is, uh, <laughs> please do write that book. I would be first in line to purchase I would, it I and would buy, buy it. A book you have about great stories. stories. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's an inspiration. I'll <laughs> well, get on it. Bob, thanks for coming in. Thank it's you a, so it's much. It's always guys. a pleasure to see you. Uh, uh, first off, you look damn healthy mm-hmm. for Thank a guy you. who recently yes. had some medical issues. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But more importantly. I don't think I've ever seen you someplace without a big smile on. And, and I think that's sort of what people gravitate towards is you're doing what you love doing and it, it, it shows. And uh, you're, in so many ways, you're one of the tastemakers here in New Jersey. And, and I think you enjoy that responsibility. Very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. All right. Take care, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>